Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? It's uh, great to have you guys with us today. We are in a series, if you just joined us, called DNA Match. And every July what we do at Thrive is we look at uh, kind of our values, the things that drive Thrive Church, the things that kind of drive our behaviors. If you think about a family, think about it this way. Families have values, right? And every family has different types of values. Uh, and so our, our family, like my current, like right now, my son and my wife, we value outdoor experiences. And so we're always hiking. We're always getting our son out at six years old and doing those things. And I talked to a dad today where his son's 18, and I asked him the question. His son's going hiking this week. I said, I said um, so did you do this a lot with your son? He said, all the time. It's just a value of ours. We just believe in it. And that's why how churches are too. Even though churches may be similar in their beliefs, sometimes values differ, and that's a good thing because we all come together as the body of Christ. Well, what we're looking at are four major values that thrive. And today I want to talk to you about the value that we have called maturity, of growing in your faith. Because that's the goal as a follower of Jesus is not plateauing, not just staying where you're at, but it's continually taking next steps in your faith journey. Have you ever met a person you would consider a man-child? Don't look at your spouse. <laughs> this is not a marriage series. But you've met people who are like, you know, like, I have a friend, and I talked with my other friend. We grew up in high school together. He's like, yeah, he's, he's, like, he's like Peter Pan. It's like he just never grew up. Like he's just still like, you know, he's 40 years old, and he's still just doing the kid thing. He's successful in life. We were laughing about it. And that's, you know, you can have indicators of someone who's like a man-child, right? They're, they're growing older, but not really growing up. As we laugh at that, there are also spiritual indicators of people that are spiritually a quote-unquote man-child or woman-child, a person-child. There are spiritual indicators of that where you can kind of look and say, okay, these are areas that I've kind of got locked into. I'm still a spiritual kid when I should be much further along. And what I want to talk to you about today is what I believe is one of the most important aspects to growing in your faith, to being a mature follower of Jesus, something that's helped me out tremendously. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul kind of dealt with this in, in the book of Galatians. If you have your uh, Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 4 today. And Galatians was the first letter, most scholars believe, the first letter that Paul wrote. And his tone was just like kind of angry and frustrated. Like a parent who, you know, you've asked your kid to clean the room and it doesn't get done, right? You're just kind of frustrated. You're kind of, when you read Galatians, it is not this encouraging, lovey-dovey letter. Paul, out of the gate, just goes after them. And here's the reason why. Paul went to the region of Galatia. No Christians lived there. So realize that. Nobody had ever heard the message of the resurrection in the first century. Paul like, goes in there. He preaches the message. People begin to get saved. He spends time with them. He sets them straight, and then he leaves to go to the next place. While he's gone, a group of Judaizers, they were Jews, who were trying to teach Christians this, Gentiles this that you had to adopt Jewish culture to be saved. So you had to get circumcised to be saved. You better attend all the feasts to be saved. You had to do all this, that you're saved by works and by faith. And they just rubbed Paul the wrong way because Paul's like, no, 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 no. Like, he's like, like I am a, I'm the chief Jew. Like, I'm, I'm a tribe of Benjamin Jew. He said, listen, you don't have to do that to be saved. It's not, it's not faith in Jesus plus, plus a bunch of good works gets you to heaven. And they begin to believe that. 
And so the Apostle Paul writes this letter here. He even says at one point, even if an angel showed up and preached to you a different gospel, don't believe him. This is the gospel. And he's upset and he's ticked because of the decision that they had made about replacing Paul. Now look at what he says to them. In Galatians 4, verse 15, he says, Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then when he first got there, arrived in Galatia, preached the gospel? He says, I'm sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. Now, why did Paul say that? Some scholars believe, and there's some debate, that maybe Paul had eye issues. Maybe he couldn't see very well. Uh, we, we know that Paul had Silas help him kind of like scribe some of the letters. He says, this was written by me and Silas. And then in one short letter he wrote, he said, what, what large letters do I write to you? Some scholars believe Paul had eye issues. And the Galatians loved Paul and received him as, uh, as their pastor. They would have plucked out their eyes and given it to him if it would have helped. But the next statement Paul makes to them is one that should impact not only the church of Galatia, but our lives as well. He says this, Have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? They made Paul their enemy. They wanted nothing to do with Paul anymore. They were upset with him. And Paul was saying, hey, listen, I've tried to help you. And what they did is they replaced Paul as their leader. They didn't want to hear from him anymore. They were done with him because he said something that they didn't like. He had to call them on the carpet for the false teachings they were following. Now, what I want to talk about today is this, and this is, this is something that I have been talking with our campus pastor at Richmond about all week, about to understand the heart behind a message like this. There are a couple things. When I, when I talk to you about a pastor, it doesn't have to be me in, in your life. It doesn't have to be anybody that thrive. I'm going to talk to you today about a key in your life that will help you grow in maturity. And if you don't live it out, you're never going to mature past where you're at. I believe the key is being teachable, humble, and accountable. Teachable, teachable, humble, and accountable. People who grow are extremely teachable, they're extremely hum humble, and they're accountable. And the Galatians at some point said, Paul, we don't want you to teach us, and we're not going to be accountable to you anymore. Matter of fact, we're just done with you. And it hurt Paul because Paul couldn't be a pastor to them. And what happened is they had Paul as their placeholder but didn't have him as their pastor anymore. And, and I just want to talk to you for a second. If you can write this in your notes, here's today's big idea. Here's what happened to Galatia, and here's what happens to us. Most believers desire a placeholder instead of a pastor. Most believers desire a placeholder instead of a pastor. Now, let me break this down for you. Number one, I understand that church hurt happens, and some of you have been under leadership at churches that were terrible. Let's just be honest. Can we be honest? What was that? Um, matter of fact, all of our staff, <laughs> we all have one story in common. We have terrible church experiences. And when I say terrible, terrible, like I could sit here and tell you stories of when I was in church, after I got saved, when I was on staff under, under leadership. Matter of fact, Keith and Lauren, like Keith, our campus pastor, and his wife, Brian and Isabel Seymour, we were all at the same church together. And literally, they were the first people that I said, hey, come help me at Thrive. And the goal was this. Let's just don't do what happened there, <laughs> what happened to us. It was terrible. So when I say this, understand that you've got to be in a healthy church, in a healthy environment with, with leadership that has integrity and things of that nature. 
Um, and number two, when I was talking about a spiritual voice in your life or a pastor in your life, it doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be anybody at this church. Uh, matter of fact, I have pastors in my life and none of them come to this church, right? I have people who speak into my life. But what happens in the American church is this. We are a country built on independence. But spiritually, independence can hurt you. If the mindset is, no one will tell me what to do with my life, then you will always end up making decisions in a vacuum and end up with regrets on the back end. I can't tell you as a pastor how many times I have to come clean up regret messes. You know, somebody makes a bad decision in a relationship or bad decision with a job or bad decision with addictions or whatever it is, and you're like, on the back end, you're trying. And every time, if someone would apply the stuff that we're talking about today, they probably could have navigated some of that stuff a little better. And so I want to help you with that today. I want to help you understand how to grow in your faith and what's helped me out tremendously. Now, now, now first of all, I want you to write this down. What's the difference between a placeholder and a pastor? I said, what's the difference in that? Well, somebody who has a placeholder, they don't want their spiritual leader speaking into their life. They just don't want it. Whoever that leader is for you. Doesn't have to be at this church. Doesn't have to be anywhere. It's not me. But they don't want somebody speaking into their life. They don't want somebody saying, hey, look, I need to talk to you about your attitudes and your actions recently. I need to talk to you about the immature way you responded to that. And you need to kind of fix that. I say that, guys, because I have spiritual leaders in my life. I have pastors who oversee my life. And one of the consultants I have and I, and I work with is a good friend, but he's my leader. And when he gets on a call with me, we talk logistics about things. We're coaching pastors and helping them. But here's what he does. He tells me three things I'm doing well, and then I know it's coming. But I need to talk to you about this. Because if you don't fix this, it's going to hurt you long term. And if you just have placeholders in your life, if you just you don't tell me what to do, I'll go do my own thing. That's how in, in life, if you track back, if you had some parents that, you know, were worth their salt, some people didn't, and, you know, sometimes my parents weren't worth their salt. But if you had some people in your life with those grandparents or parents worth their salt, you probably got in trouble because you didn't want them telling you what to do. My mom and dad tried to tell me so many times, you need to stay out of that. You need to stay away from that. Don't go down that path. But you know what? Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And what did I do? I went and it messed my life up. I made bad decisions. And so if you have a pastoral voice in your life, whoever that is, wherever that may be, they speak into your life spiritually, and they help you see things that you thought that you couldn't see. Now, now here's the second part of between a placeholder and a pastor, and I'm going to unpack this. So at first, this statement's going to be a little shock. Why don't you just listen to me? All right, so you criticize the church and staff, but never accept, this, accept the same in return. So people, watch this now, this is so good. People who always criticize other people but never want to receive criticism are the most immature people you ever meet. They seem very mature because they're always pointing their finger at you. They're always telling you what, they can, what, what you're doing wrong, but the moment somebody ever says, hey, fix this or do this or don't do this, then they get defensive and angry and blow up. Criticism is so important. And what happens is, and I tell our staff this, here's how important criticism is, and I believe in criticism. I believe in constructive criticism. Matter of fact, here's how much I believe in it. Our staff came up with seven values for staff and volunteers that operate the internal workings of this church, seven values that we really just drive home. Like these are preached in our teams, and these are preached in the departments. 
And one of them that, that, that none of our staff picked, we went through 11 and narrowed it down. And if you walk into our main small groups office over there in the offices, you'll see the seven on the wall there. And one of them is consume criticism. I expect every staff member who's on my team, you better consume criticism and not get defensive. You better sit down and listen to people who love you, that criticize you. If they don't love you, understand that it may come out of anger. But if somebody loves you and cares for you and they're criticizing you, consume it. Because see, when it comes to criticism, you got two options. You get bitter or you get better. Do you get bitter or you get better? And so many times what we do is we'll just delve out, whether it's at a church or, 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 or another, but we'll just delve out criticism to everybody. But the moment it's turned on us, guess what happens? We get angry and we blow. And you know why I know that? Can I tell you guys a little secret? If you're new here, you understand this. I'm probably not the most spiritual guy in the world because I have issues too. I do that. When I get criticized, my first response to criticism isn't like, oh, thank you so much. Oh, I appreciate you just ripping me apart. That feels great. Please some more. Wait, or another round for the house. I mean, you know, that's just not like my first response to criticism. Um, but it's the, it's the people who love me the most that criticize me that help me the most. My wife does that. She was here at the, the early service, and I even said she has helped me out so much because she has spoken into my life, and she has criticized me with things, and she loves me, and she wants me to be better. She's like, honey, do you realize that word you use doesn't even exist? <laughs> like from the pulpit, like you're online, and there were— that's not, do you, do you know, that's not a real word. I'm like, oh. You know, like she's there to help me with those things. And so when it comes to criticism, it's super important. But immature people can dish it out, but they can't take it. So to grow in maturity, don't just criticize everybody else in the church and people around you and everything this and that. And that. Man, learn to receive it as well. Uh, and that's, again, that's a value I teach our staff. The other thing is this. You have a preacher instead of a pastor. Now, see, I have preachers in my life. I have about four preachers I listen to on podcasts. When I like today at 5 p.m., I'm mowing the grass, right? I like to get a good sweat on. I'll get one on. And I'm going to listen to a preacher or two, and I'll get spiritually fed. But I don't know these guys from Adam. I, I don't know them. I'll never get to meet them. Um, they're good, but I, I don't know them. But I have a pastor in my life, and I have pastors in my life who I don't—some of them, they don't, don't even preach at churches— but they speak into my life. And you got to make sure in your life, you're not just, you just, you don't, just don't have a preacher somewhere. See, Herod in the New Testament, in the first century, King Herod, like he brought John the Baptist up to him. Like, and John the Baptist was there, they arrested him. And you know what Herod did? He's like, hey, can you bring that John guy out with the long dreadlocks and he eats bugs and honey? He's so entertaining. And he's telling his friends, bring him out and let him preach some to us. And he came out and John preached and Herod's like, this is another, this is really entertaining. Bring more wine. Let's just listen to John preach. And it says that he was almost persuaded by him. But he ended up cutting off John the Baptist's head. Because he wasn't interested in John being a voice in his life. He just wanted to be entertained by someone who was preaching to him. And, and if you want something in your life to see transformation happen, you've got to have someone who's a spiritual voice that can help you. Because here's what happens. If we don't do this, guys, if we don't buy into this, if maybe you've checked out and you're ready for, for lunch or the pool today and you miss this, here's what happens. If you miss this, then you will end up growing older without ever truly growing up. You can grow older without ever growing up.
See, I, I thought when I first got saved, I got saved 20 years ago. Um, I didn't know, you know, church or Jesus from anything. I got saved and was in there. I thought like the, the older men of the church were full of maturity, right? I realized, man, the guys are on deacon boards and the guys are doing that. They were some of the most immature guys. And it, it just, it shocked me as a believer that they would cuss people out and they would do this and do that and racism and all the stuff. And yeah, it was there running rampant. And I was just absolutely shocked. My wife had never experienced it. And so she comes to the good old South, and we get into ministry, and the, the problems we had the most with people weren't from people who were younger. It was those who knew better. They just knew better. And what you realized is at some point, they grew older, but they never grew up spiritually. They never grew up emotionally. They never got there. And my heart for you, I'm just going to tell you what my heart for you I want you guys at Thrive Church, you guys watching online, I want one day when your time is up at Thrive to tell me, you know what, man, I matured in my faith. You helped me. You helped me understand the Scriptures, and I fell in love with the Scriptures, and you, you helped me fall more in love with Jesus. And you know what? I, I became a better father. I became a better husband. I became a better friend. You helped me get better. You help me grow. That, that's the greatest compliment that a pastor can ever have is to see people grow in their faith. And I want you guys to do that. One of the goals for our staff, I meet with them, um, you know, twice a month and pour into them. I don't want them to just get better at what they do at church. I want them to be better husbands and wives, better neighbors and citizens, you know, be better friends to people. That's my goal is they mature in all areas of their life. But growth doesn't happen just because you get older, right? It was funny. There was a, a guy who was going through a village one day, and it was a tourist village. And he saw an older man, man sitting there. It was an elder of the village. And he stopped. And he said, hey, sir, he said, were there any great people born here in this village? And the elder sits back and says, nope, only babies. And I don't care where you're at today. I don't care what your past has been, what your story is. You can, from this day forward, grow and mature and, and lessen your regrets in life. And God can use you in amazing ways. And here's the reason I know that, guys. What I'm telling you today, I, I live out. Matter of fact, when I first got saved, one of the guys who's still a voice in my life, tomorrow I have a phone call with him at 8 a.m. every Monday. Um, we share our deep frustrations, our deep disappointments, our, our, our successes. We talk every week about this. We talk about our marriages, our parenting. This guy here, I was on his youth team, and he told me that I needed to find in my life spiritual mentors. And he began to teach me about the power of pursuing people. And here's what I did. I went, in every place I lived, I would call pastors and I would say, can I buy you lunch? And here's what I did. I would sit down with a, with a legal pad and I had about five to seven questions I would ask these guys. I would buy them lunch, and here's what I did. They said, are you going to eat? I said, no. I said, I hope you can talk with your mouth full because i got a lot of questions. And I'm going to do a lot of writing. And I just wrote, and I wrote, and I learned, and I learned. And then in my life, over the years, I had some spiritual mentors who I really connected with that now for over 20 years I have men of God that at every navigating big decision of my life, I get with them and say, what do you think? Here's what I'm feeling. Am I crazy? And they have helped me. Matter of fact, nine years ago, I moved here. And it was very risky to move here because there was 20 people in this church. We didn't know if this place would even make it. 
There's a group of senior citizens who were amazing people. But I was at a church plant in Florida that I'd started. We were just taking off the ground. And I felt like God was calling me out of there. I was like, this sounds crazy. I called my mentors. I said, tell me I'm crazy. They said, no, you're not. And one of the reasons I'm here today is because of spiritual voices in my life. One of the reasons I haven't left this church and I've been here for now almost 10 years is because I have spiritual voices in my life. One of the reasons in my life, guys, that I believe I've, I've been able to continue to, to kind of grow and continue to, to lead is because of spiritual voices in my life. And, and I want to help you guys with that. I want to help you to understand that one of the keys to your growth and maturity are finding people who can speak into your life. Matter of fact, one of the reasons that I have the wife that I have today is because of spiritual voice in my life. My friend Brett, I'll never forget, I was in student ministry working with him. There's a couple, a couple of the girls there in the student ministry that um, would come to our shows. I played in a band and they would hang out with us and we would stay after youth and talk and just very innocent, good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. Brett pulled me aside one day. He said, I've been praying. He said, I noticed that so-and-so and so-and-so have been hanging out with you. He says, can I be honest with you? He says, man, I don't know why, but you need, you need to distance yourself. You just need to distance yourself, man. I don't know. You just need to do that. I had a choice, friends. I could have said to him, who do you think you are? <laughs> Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do in my life. I'm 23 years old. I do what I want to. <laughs> Date who I want to. Talk to who I want to. <laughs> but I listened to him. I distanced myself. A few years later, there was this really awesome young woman helping out with our student ministry. And I didn't know her. She had moved from Florida. And I went and sat with Brett, and I said, Brett, if you're young in here, let me tell you this. this the most important decision you'll make in your life is about Jesus. The second most is who you will say I do to. So I say amen? amen. I said, Brett, I said, I, I need help. I, I like Deanna. What do I do? Because my dad wasn't a believer. He, didn't, he was business smart, but he had, so Brett said, hey, he said, number one, you know, Deanna had a single mom. She said, go sit down with her mom, and you're going to talk to her mom. If her mom blesses it, you move forward. If she doesn't, you stop. Number two, you'll meet with her and her mom. He said, number three, here's what a healthy, pure Christian relationship looks like in courtship. He said, you're not test driving it before you buy it. You know what I mean there? Do I need to explain? He said, he walked me through that. Not only that, guys, but can I tell you, I sat down with him and learned about marriage before I ever got into it. Two years. I would sit down with a legal pad asking questions. What do you wish you would have known? And that has helped change my life, is having people in my life who can help me, who can tell me no. I have people right now in my life that can say, no, you're not going to do that. No, you're not making that decision. The most important thing I tell my six-year-old is the word no, right? He's got to learn it. So what do you do and how do you do this? Number one, here's the action step I want you guys to take. You've got to grow instead of go. You've got to grow instead of go. Now, there's times God calls you to go. There are times. Like, I wouldn't be here today if God didn't say, go, leave Florida, right? Nine years I've been here. But there's also times God just says grow. If you're married and you're, and, you're, and you're young in your marriage, can I tell you, you're going to hit some times that you're wondering, did I make the right decision? <laughs> you're going to think, what did I do? But you find people who are older in their marriage, they'll say, oh, yeah, we've been through all that. And we're so much better on the back end of it. 
If you're struggling in your marriage right now and you're young or you got young kids and you're struggling, can I tell you, everybody with young kids struggles. It's tough. But sometimes in life, when it comes even to church or having people in your life that are speaking to your life, you got to grow instead of go. The biggest problem with college sports right now, can I tell you, it's called the transfer portal. If they get a coach that says, I don't think you're good enough right now, you need to develop, they'll just go somewhere else. You get a bunch of undeveloped talent just going from place to place. And that's one of the reasons you think I'm crazy. You know, if you're not a basketball fan, you can check out for a second. That's one of the reasons. Why do you think Roy Williams and Mike Krzyzewski both started retiring at the same time? Because you can't develop anybody anymore. They'll just jump to another team to, the, the, the moment you tell them, you got to work on this. You're not good enough to start here. Not like it was back in my day, right? I'm only 42, but I did have it back in my day. Grow instead of go. Here's what Paul says, Ephesians 4. He speaks to the church at Ephesus about the responsibility of church leaders, but also the responsibility of people who are part of a local church. And here's what he says in Ephesians 4:11. He says, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. What does that all mean? That means God gives leaders to churches to lead churches. That's simply what that means. He says their responsibility, watch this. Here's my responsibility. Here's our staff's responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work, to build up the church, the body of Christ. We're going to equip you. We're going to get you plugged in and involved. He says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. Watch that word maturity. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And then he says this, then... We will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. And watch this, growing in every way more and more. Say every way. When it's done right, when you're really plugged in, when you're really connected, you should be growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. That's the goal, is to mature in your faith, to take a next step. Matter of fact, every time I read Scripture, every time I listen to a podcast, I ask the question, what must I do with what I just heard, or what must I do with what I just read? What should I do? What step do I need to take? That's maturity. And so my heart for you is all of you to continue to grow and mature. Now, there's two ways how we do this. I'm going to close with this this morning. If you want to lessen your regrets, if you want to mature, do this. The first thing is this. Ask advice on the front end instead of forgiveness on the back end. Now, you all know this. If you're a parent of teenagers, they do this or they've done this. Mom and Dad, I'm really sorry. Right? They show up and they're like, I'm really sorry. Why? Because they made a bad decision. And they're asking for forgiveness. I did that so many times with my parents. Instead of sitting down and saying, what do you think I should do about this? Like that would be a miracle of God if teenagers would do that to their parents right now, right? Parents, right now, pray for that for your teenagers to ask that. But that has saved me so many times of sitting down and saying, I think I'm going to make this decision. What should I do about it? Is this right? And can I tell you, I've got friends in my life who call me, and we're pastors, and many of them would be at their churches a day, 
if I wasn't able to talk them off the ledge and say, no, 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 stop, 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 stop. You're good, dude. You're doing a great job. You ain't going nowhere. Just calm down. And we thank each other all the time for being a voice. Ask advice on the front end instead of always asking for forgiveness on the back end. The second thing is this. Trust those God has placed in your life or just find people you can trust. Right? Trust is hard. We've all been hurt. Right? We've all been hurt. I've been hurt. But I've made a conscious decision and effort that I'm going to trust these men of God that are in my life, that know me, that have journeyed with me, and they're not impressed with me either. They don't listen to my sermons. They don't care. Much better preachers out there. Find someone who's not impressed with you. It's called a spouse. But find people in your life that you can trust, that can help you navigate those decisions in life, that you can sit down with and you can say, hey, look, I, I, I'm really thinking about doing this or I'm thinking about leaving this thing or going to this thing or doing this thing. What would you say to me? Because that's how maturity happens, guys. I talked with someone uh, who's in their early 20s after, after service today, and I said, I remember being 22 years old. And I'm going to be honest with you. I drove a front-end loader. I played in a punk rock band. I didn't go to school anywhere. I wasn't preaching the gospel. I mean, I love Jesus. I was just going to church. The only reason I'm here today, can I tell you? I mean, of course, God's grace, and that's always the, the right answer. It's because I had the right voices in my life. And I had people pouring into me to help me make those right decisions. And every time I've gone sideways, when does it come? You're not going to tell me what to do. Who do you think you are? That's when I've always made the wrong decisions. And I don't care how young or old you are in here. We always need someone in our life that can help us with that. Don't let someone become your enemy because they're telling you the truth. That's what happened to Paul. Tried to help the church at Galatia. And they totally just blocked him. Said, no, no, I'm unfriending you. I'm done with you. I don't want to hear it anymore because you called me out. And I want to be honest with you. One of the people in your life, if you're married, that you need to listen to is your spouse. I'm going to mess y'all up right here. I'm going to mess some marriages up. Especially the men in here. My wife has this sixth sense. She may be involved in witchcraft. I don't know. I think all women are. They just don't tell us. I think every because they have this intuition, this thing. They just have it. And my wife will tell me things. And she's one of the ones also that's helped me out so much. And I have to make a conscious choice. I, I'm, I'm going to get better. I'm not going to get bitter because she's going to help me with that. Let people speak into your life. Here's why. There's three quadrants of your life. Three quadrants. The first is the thing that everybody knows about you, God knows about you, right? And you know about yourself. I mean, I'm short and I'm bald. You all know that, right? Like, that's just common knowledge. Like, there's nothing's hidden. The second quadrant of your life is things that you know about yourself and God knows, but not many people know about, about it. It's kind of your private sector of your life, personal sector. But the one that keeps you locked in immaturity is your third quadrant. It's things that everybody else knows about you and God knows about you, but you don't know about yourself yet. They're all talking about it. God's hoping you'll change it. 
but you're unaware. I call it the bad breath principle. It's almost impossible to detect your own bad breath, right? You need people in your life to say, hey, look, you may not know this about yourself, but you have a tendency to, to do this. And that's the greatest advice you will ever get because there are blind spots that may hurt you long term and keep you locked into immaturity. And as your pastor, I don't want that. I want all of you to lessen your regrets. And I want all of you from this day forward, no matter what's happened in your life, to make a decision that you are going to allow, number one, you're going to let the Lord speak into your life as you read the Scriptures and pray. But number two, you've got some people to help you along the way on the journey. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would help all of us to mature, to grow in maturity, to continually, every time we open your precious Scriptures, every time we pray, every time we worship God, that we would allow you to speak into our life. But Father, I pray for every person in here, send some people in their life that can help them, that can speak into their life, whether it's parents or whether it's a spouse or a spiritual leader or somebody, God, that can help them along the way in the journey. And for those that have been hurt, God, I just pray for healing, healing. I pray you would help them, God, take that next step. For the church hurt that happens, that happened to me, and God, thank you for healing me also help them as well. We love you, Jesus, and we're totally dependent upon you to help us with this. And as we're praying today, church, in this mode of prayer, maybe your next step, whether you're in here physically or whether you're online today, is giving your life to Jesus. You know that your next step is letting the Lord speak into your life. It's giving your life to Christ. Maybe you walked away from your faith. Maybe you were hurt by something that happened. And the day you know is the day you want to come back to faith in Jesus. Or maybe for the first time ever, you're going to declare Jesus as your Lord, and you're going to give your life to Him. I'm not sure which camp you're in today, but today is your day to give your life to Christ. Right where you're sitting, I want you to pray this prayer. Make this confession of faith after me. You say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner, but I believe that Jesus is Lord I believe that he died on the cross. I believe that he rose again the third day. I believe he's the only way to heaven. So today, God, forgive me of all my sins. I turn from my old life, and I receive your new life you're given me. Thank you, God, for forgiving me of all of my sins. Help me, God, to mature in my faith and grow in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.